Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. It is so great to be with you again for what is probably going to be our last episode of the decade, which is kind of crazy to be thinking about. Uh, I am your host, Terry Plucknett. With me, as always, are Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz. Uh, Zach, what are you drinking? I am drinking the fabulous uh, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale that uh, I have left over from Thanksgiving. <laughs> Dude. Making another appearance. <laughs> Some things don't die easily. That uh, shall not go into that dark night. Whatever poem. Dylan Thomas. That's the one. It, I, I think you just alienated. Like that's, that's like you starting to read from your book in Vegas and talk oh, okay. about Barbara Streisand, dude. Yeah, I won't reference <laughs> Irish poets of the 1920s. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Todd, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking rum. It's just white rum. It's alright. I don't really like rum, but I'm drinking it for this time. <laughs> you didn't add, you didn't add, add a little eggnog in there? No. No, I don't I don't think that would go with <laughs> rum necessarily. That's more of a whiskey thing. Is I thought I thought it was I thought it was eggnog and rum. Yeah, that's that's what I had but, over the break. Like I said, I don't really like rum. It's fabulous. But, you know, it's what I had, so. Uh, well, uh, I, I went to the store, and we are, so we are recording. This is uh, December 22nd at 5 o'clock Pacific time. So we're right before Christmas, and I had to go to the store and get some sort of Christmassy winter ale because, you know, that's what I'm doing. And so this is uh, Elysian. It's probably one of my favorite breweries. Uh, and this is their Bifrost Winter Ale. Uh, I was kind of bummed we weren't talking about Thor today because it would have been perfect to uh, to be drinking Bifrost. But um, yeah, it's it's pretty good. It's a it's a solid solid Winter Ale. I I gotta say I was kind of tempted, slightly tempted. One of these podcasts I'm gonna have to get some burr probably and and drink some yes. burr. It was on the shelf. Yes. It was on the shelf. <laughs> For those who don't know, Burr, it's B-R-R-R, and it is the worst, like the worst winter ale ever. It's Widmer's winter ale. It's bad. It's just bad. And it's a running joke that we have that, yeah, punishment for things is having to drink Burr. Anyways, uh, so yeah, Bifrost, Elysian, pretty good. All right. So, like I said, it is almost Christmas time, and we're going to be talking about some, some Christmas, uh, some uh, Christmas classic today, in a special deep dive. We're doing two deep dives in a row here, uh, but first we have some movies to talk about uh, in our movie reviews. There is so much coming out right now, uh, as a lot of the awards contenders are finally getting uh, their wide enough releases or getting released streaming so that we can start to see them. And so, uh, let's get into that. And Zach, I'm going to go to you first. Uh, Zach and I each watched a, a, a movie that we're going to talk about. And uh, Todd, since it is a Christmas season, he hasn't had a whole lot of time to do much. 
So he's going to uh, give us some updates on uh, on our awards race coming up. But first, we're going to talk about our movies. So Zach, tell us about uh, what you what you watched and what you thought. All right. Well, I watched uh, the Two Popes. The new film by Fernando Marielis, who was the director of City of God and The Constant Gardener. And it is the latest Netflix release that is getting some Oscar buzz. It stars Anthony Hopkins and Jonathan Price as the two popes, uh, Pope Benedict XVI and Pope Francis. And the movie takes place mostly around um, 2012 when uh, Pope Benedict abruptly resigned and renounced the papacy. And uh, to replace him was Pope, or, uh, Pope Francis, a.k.a. Cardinal Jorge Bergoglio, I think is his name in the movie. And uh, he's played by Jonathan Price. It's probably the his movie, name in real life, too. Just he, it, it Definitely <laughs> his name is Jonathan Price in real life. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so uh, the movie kind of um, it, it, mo- it takes place in 2012 but it kind of uses it as more of a, a framing device in the story um, because there's a lot of flashbacks in the story that kind of recount how they got to this moment um, it actually the movie starts sh- by showing uh, Benedict be, uh, getting I don't know is it elected voted as Pope in, in 2005 and then it kind of looks at the reasons why he, he resigns but really the movie is, is about uh, Bergoglio and especially the, the differences between the two I didn't realize that there were that I mean I'm not you know a uh, chronic aficionado of the papacy so I don't follow that sort of news that closely I remember when this happened but I guess there is a or there was a kind of philosophical splinter of the Catholic Church when these two people were popes at their various times, with Pope Benedict representing a very kind of uh, uh, conservative, traditionalist, orthodox bent on things like homosexuality and uh, abortion and things like that, whereas Pope Francis represented maybe a little bit more leniency, although I really don't know what that means because I'm, I, the movie still kind of shows him as being uh, essentially uh, anti-abortion, anti-homosexuality. Um, but so the movie is basically a, a, a two a, a two offer of their conversations, uh, and um, it's a pretty interesting movie. I mean, it well parts of it are interesting. I guess I guess the problem that I have with this movie is that it's not terribly interesting if you're not really invested in the in the history behind this event. I mean, it's a you know it's it's pretty unique uh, that it that two popes would be uh, alive at the same time. Uh, and one pope would be renouncing, and so the movie kind of makes a big deal of that. the The conversations between them, I think, the movie thinks that they're more interesting than than they actually are. There's several scenes where the the filmmaker tries to insert the popes uh, interacting with modern uh, like technology, sort of for laughs. The most compelling parts of this movie were looking at uh, Jorge Bergoglio's past, um, especially his involvement during the the Dirty War in Argentina in the 1970s. That should have been its own movie. I mean, that is really kind of fascinating it would have been a more straightforward biography of him but he's the more compelling character Jonathan Price is getting some Oscar uh, buzz for this role he's really good in it I don't know if, if it's on the level of being a front runner I sort of think it's a movie like Frost Nixon it's a movie that if you know the history behind it you probably like it more than if, if you're not uh, too familiar with it and uh, like Frank Langella for that movie you know Jonathan Price is an often overlooked actor so it may be more of a lifetime achievement award than an actual you know nomination for the performance it's a good movie three stars I had to pause it maybe three times out of boredom but uh, you know made it through it all right could have been a worse way to spend my Sunday morning it it, it was better than actually being at church I'll put it that way that's the highest praise I can give it so you're saying the actual 
uh, watching it on Netflix helped the movie necessarily, like, because you were able to pause it and not, not like, add Astro or something where you just fell asleep. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. A- absolutely, yeah. I-, I think Netflix helps a movie like this for that exact reason. So you're pro-Netflix you know, releases it, now. That's interesting. Well, yeah, man. I mean, it saved me, like, you know, $15. I mean, I probably would have been upset going to this movie in a theater because I, I would have actually maybe given this movie thumbs down because it would have been a waste of so time you, uh, and money. But, like, well, on Netflix, I know we're getting like into Oscar race a little bit, but you mentioned... I don't know. It's not that bad. Jonathan it's Price just, is getting yeah, some yeah, buzz. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad really I watched good. it on Netflix instead um, of paying for it. Anthony Hopkins is kind of making the short list of supporting actor contenders. Um, how is he? Yeah, he's really good in the movie. I mean, obviously, he's, like, really old at this point. Um, but, you know, the the more... It's sort of a thankless role, in a way, because the the uh, Jorge Bergoglio is a much more interesting character who gets a lot more screen time, and this is very clearly Jonathan Price's movie. So, again, I, I don't know. I, I, it, it, this year is stacked, as we've talked about, uh, especially in the lead actor and supporting actor nomination, nominees, and mm-hmm. uh, maybe in a normal year they would have both gotten nominations, but uh, yeah. in this stacked year, it's a little hard for me to believe that Anthony Hopkins will get a nomination, and even Jonathan Price at this point, I don't know. It's just so stacked. Yeah, that's but one thing really I noticed by movie. just seeing some of the trailers. He looks a lot like they... the Pope. The, definitely the they show they like kind of the do the real life uh, you know footage yeah thing. i'm looking forward to seeing like that it. one i haven't had a chance to watch that one yet but uh but that is on netflix so it's easily available for everyone all right so that is the two popes uh now is my turn to talk about what i saw um now uh unlike unlike zach uh i did make it to the theater um, I have, uh, the new Regal Unlimited Pass, so for, like, 21 bucks a month, I get as many movies at Regal as I want, and so I've been catching myself going and seeing some really, uh, random double features of, oh, these two movies, the times match up, so I'll go see them, and that's what I did this last Friday night, um, <clears throat> I'm gonna briefly mention the second of the movie of the double feature and that was star wars the rise of skywalker uh which it sounds like a lot of people saw because it's at like 170 million for the weekend right now um and uh i mean it's star wars so everyone's got an opinion on it but this is quite a polarizing movie uh i'm giving it three stars it's it's good it was entertaining it had a lot to do um but as it's going along, there's some stuff in it that just make you go, huh? And so that that's a that's about where I'll 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 leave it. it I mean, it's it, you could say it's kind of like it's kind of like how Return of the Jedi was to Empire Strikes Back, where it it had to kind of wrap everything up after like a perfect lead-in, and um, it, it was not going to do it well, or it, it it was impossible to do it perfectly, um, but it definitely had some interesting takes on a few different things but um uh, but yeah three stars i was entertained well, i've i've heard that that pe- people say that it's like disrespectful to ryan johnson because they pretty much changed everything that he put forward and i think we all liked the last jedi and like i was i thought it was so different and so is that is that kind of what it is like did he just <laughs> sort of like ruin everything that ryan um, johnson put forward to try to make it grab police like the first one which i've I didn't heard really like. that that uh critique as well and it's 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 fair and not at the same time. There are some things, some little details that it, it like completely ignores what 
Last Jedi did. Um, however, at the same time, it it honestly it's trying to do so much in just a two hour and twenty minute movie that it doesn't have time to really spend on a lot of things. Like just from the opening scroll, like like your 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 traditional opening scroll of Star Wars, it's going into like spoilers that are only like hinted at and guessed about from the uh from the um from the trailers. So it's a uh, it's kind of fascinating how it just kind of jumps in and just goes and it goes nonstop because it has to because it it tried to it was almost like it it was, it was almost like J.J. Abrams was saying, I wish Last Jedi had talked about this so I didn't have to cover it. Now I'm going to have to cover that and all the stuff I wanted to cover in this in the last uh, last part. So it's, it's really busy. It's got some head-scratching moments, especially near the ending. Um, and uh, But like I said, I was entertained. I, I would say it's, it's the worst of the new trilogy. Um... But I really liked Force Awakens, and I loved The Last Jedi. And this one, it... Yeah, it it struggled. But again, I would say probably I had... I think Return of the Jedi is my least... Is my lowest ranked of the original trilogy, too. Um, so, just not quite as low as this. I liked Return of the Jedi a lot more than I liked this. However, yeah. But anyways... I, I'm I'm doing my best to just kind of talk about it without saying anything about it, because <laughs> you guys need to see it. it and I know right. neither of you have watched it yet. Uh, you're going to. Uh, one of the things I thought was really interesting that I I will mention is um, is Colin Trevorrow uh, still gets a story credit. He was supposed to be the director of this, but uh, as has happened many times in uh, in the Star Wars Disney partnership, he was removed for creative differences. And uh, that's when J.J. Abrams came back on, but he still had his hand in what the story was of this of this final part, which I thought was interesting. Um, also, it was kind of you know it taught it's the rise of Skywalker, and it does kind of try and bring you know these trilogy of trilogies full circle. I think it does a decent job of that. So, um, anyways, that's that was Star Wars, the first movie I saw of it. Let's let's get into that. The first movie I saw of my double feature is the one I'm going to be talking about, and that is Bombshell, uh, the new movie uh, starring uh, Charlize Theron, uh, Nicole Kidman, Margot Robbie, John Lithgow, and a bunch of others um, about the uh, sexual harassment cases inside um, uh, Fox News, especially uh, revolving around Roger Ailes. Um, this movie, it, when you look at its pedigree, it was kind of interesting, and I didn't quite know what to think of it when I started to hear about it. Uh, it's written by Charles Randolph, who is probably best known for uh, winning an Oscar for co-writing The Big Short with Adam McKay. And it was directed by Jay Roach, who um, up until, oh, maybe the last, like, three or four years, was most known as directing the Austin Powers trilogy and Meet the Parents. But since then, he's directed Trumbo, he directed All the Way, the uh, LBJ um, uh, movie with uh, Brian Cranston on HBO, and now Bombshell. So uh, he's definitely kind of turned his career in a similar way Adam McKay did. And this movie definitely 
has moments that feel kind of like the big short where it's uh, very um, break. It breaks the fourth wall at times. It's um, it, it's a lot lighter in in it just its approach to some of the things just because of that. Um, but this uh, this movie belongs to the three lead leading ladies. Uh, Charlie Theron playing uh, Megan Kelly. Uh, Nicole Kidman playing Gretchen Carlson and Margot Robbie playing a girl named Kayla who isn't necessarily based on any anyone uh, real but uh, definitely a major part of the story. Uh, they are absolutely outstanding in this. Um, the the transformations of Charlize Theron and Nicole Kidman into Megan Kelly and Gretchen Carlson is is pretty ridiculous, um, and uh, and that just it's just jaw dropping how good they are. Um, John Lithgow is also amazing as Roger Ailes. Um, it's an interesting. It's interesting because it's about the sexual harassment cases and the kind of the toxic environment and that kind of was right at the brink of the whole Me Too movement. But um, at the same time, this is inside Fox News, and you have whenever you're dealing with something like that. Um, Obviously, some political um, opinion and bias is going to come out in that, and uh, it's very evident that that is there because, again, you are you you can't talk politics at all right now without leaning one way or the other on what's going on. But one thing I think is very interesting is it doesn't allow um, the uh, the liberal leanings of the filmmakers to affect the storytelling of what is being told um it is a it is a human story and these people um especially you know these on-air personalities like megan kelly and gretchen carlson um are not villainized as as some fox news people can be um because they're being talked about in this other uh as the victims here uh in this other uh scenario in this other environment um i thought that was it was a very delicate line to walk and i thought it walked that line very well um i was i was completely taken in by this movie and really was fascinated by the telling of the story and i really didn't know a lot of the details that it goes into here um but i i really enjoyed it uh, i'm giving it three and a half stars uh, like I said at the beginning, I wasn't quite sure what to think of it when I first heard about it, and then I started to hear all the awards buzz that was coming out about it, and I had to I had to try it, I had to look at it, and it was it was definitely worth it. So uh, so go see Bombshell. Uh, it doesn't really I don't think it really matters you know what your political beliefs are here, uh, because like I said, this story isn't about politics. It's about um, it's about toxic environments and treating people with the respect they deserve and that's what this story is about it just happens to take place kind of in this political world well you, you kind of sell jay roach a little short because you i mean you don't mention recount and game change which both were similar things where he's t telling a very objective take on something that is in the political world so I mean, that's true that's that true are you saying that it's he, not? Yeah, it's not his first time doing that. Are you saying that he shouldn't be proud of directing Austin Powers, one of the great comedies of the '90s? Yeah, baby, yeah. Well, yeah, he also didn't call Meet the Parents a trilogy, even though it is. That's because he didn't direct Little Fockers. Oh. Um. Uh, or else I would have said he directed the, the the Meet the Parents trilogy, but he didn't direct the last one. <laughs> <laughs> 
He just directed uh, the first two. So Terry, I, yeah, I oh, go ahead. Go for it. Oh, I was just gonna say, I was shocked that John Lithgow was cast in this role and not Christopher Plummer. <laughs> John Lithgow, he is. I, I wish there that again going back to what you were talking about with two popes. I wish supporting actor wasn't so stacked, because John Lithgow totally deserves to be in consideration for this. But one of the things that I've noticed, and I was reading up on it a little bit as well, um, he's got like zero buzz behind him, and he's not going to get nominated, even though I don't think he's ever been nominated before. Um, yes, he was nominated for what? Terms, Terms of, of Oh, was he? Okay. And uh, The World According to Garb. All right, well, then never mind. But Here's it's been a long time. I don't time. think that's true. That's not... Did, was he really? Yeah. I, I, I don't, I'll, we'll all look right. it up, but I'm quite sure. Yeah. Oh, we're not going to bet on this? Well, no, I'm right. I'm, I'm right. looking it up. I'm looking it up. But it, you were also right about uh, what's her face in Taxi. He Rock was nominated for two Oscars, it says. Uh huh. Terms of Endearment and the World According to Garp. There you yeah, go. Yeah, eat, eat that. Yeah, you didn't bet, though. So, Roger Ailes is also played by Russell Crowe in some Showtime movies. That's true. He was. Yep. Um, and so there, there was there was that part of it, too, where you have you know the same character being played by multiple people at the same time, which could have been going against him. Kind of like just a couple years ago. Going back to this, you had all the way. Brian Cranston was playing LBJ, and then you had the the actual theatrical release where Woody Harrelson was playing LBJ. I forget what it was called though. Uh, it was um, called LBJ. Oh, it was just called LBJ, and that was a Rob Reiner movie, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was. Anyways, yeah. but um, no, I've been reading. The reason why uh, John Lithgow was not or has like zero buzz is the there those that support the movie aren't really backing him at all. Because they really are looking at it and saying this would really look bad if he stole some thunder away from the three ladies, about in a movie about sexual harassment and and you know you're talking Me Too movement and um, what if so this is straight out of Compton again? Is that what you're saying? Well, it's it's trying to make sure that doesn't happen. They're like, well, what what happens if John Lithgow ends up getting nominated and none of the girls do? for a movie about the girls that would be that would just be bad so uh that's bad optics so he's getting zero buzz which is kind of sad but um but margot robbie is is uh is definitely she's got the role that you there's the most to do with and that's what i heard going into it as well and she she knocks this one out of the park um and i i loved Charlize theron um, the one that has the least to do really is Nicole Kidman, but she's still very good. I'm not a huge Nicole Kidman fan, but she she plays this part very, very well. All right. So, yeah, three and a half stars there. Uh, three stars for Rise of Skywalker. Uh, that's where I'm at with those. All right. Now, Todd, we're going to go to you for a little bit of an Oscar race update. We've talked about a few of the, uh, of the candidates in the movies that we've just watched, uh, but... Uh, since the last time we talked, the Golden Globe nominations have come out, the SAG nominations have come out, along with some other things. Um, so Todd, kind of give us, I know you don't have like formal predictions put out yet, and you probably won't put out any of those until we're pretty close to nomination morning, but, uh, just give us some thoughts on the, uh, on the different categories and where you think things stand now. Okay, well, I, I feel like a lot of the categories, you know, there is a good chunk of them that seem like they're pretty much locks for nominations, but the winners aren't necessarily certain, but there is, like, one or two that are kind of uncertain for nominations. 
Uh, you, we were just talking about Bombshell. I, I feel like that right now is being treated like similar to The Favorite or something like that, or maybe like Up in the Air. So I went like I wouldn't be surprised if you get like a, a shocker J. Roach Best Director nomination because I feel like the movie probably is going to do pretty well and it's going to play really well with with uh, the Oscar crowd, which would be. I mean, that that would be a real shock, because it is a really stacked lineup of directors with uh, a lot of clout. And uh, so, we, we had the Golden Globe nominations come out, which don't necessarily mean a ton for what happens with the Oscars, but it does give you an idea of what people are actually watching and what they like. And, uh, uh, like, Parasite got the Best uh, Director nomination, which means that it's actually a real threat uh, for Best Picture. It also, at the SAGs, got a Best Ensemble nomination, which means that it, it did what Roma couldn't, which was get into that category. Only one movie, and uh, not in English, has ever gotten nominated in that category, and that was Life is Beautiful. So I think Parasite is actually a real threat to win Best Picture at this point. And uh, as far as uh, the other ca candidates in Best Picture, you got Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and The Irishman are, are definitely getting in. I feel like Bombshell's pretty close to a lock. Jojo Rabbit at the SAGs got nominated for Ensemble and for uh, Supporting Actress for Scarlett Johansson, which is crazy, which I, I think that pretty much solidifies it as a as a lock for a Best Picture nomination. 1917 is getting treated real well. Marriage Story, of course. I think Joker, with the, the love it got from the Golden Globes, shows. I think it actually could be one of those, like, weird Golden Globe Best Picture drama uh, winners. I think that's going to get in. And then you got the last couple spots. I feel like Ford versus Ferrari probably is the main one. The, the two popes got snubbed by SAG. Uh, uh, Little Women somehow is just getting overlooked in a lot of places. I don't know if they just don't respect it or just tired of the story. But the the one that I, I feel like is you have to kind of keep an eye on is Uncut Gems because that, that feels like almost like Phantom Thread of this year where it's like not a whole lot of people are giving it uh, attention it's not going to make a ton of money at the box office but it might just be so good that you can't ignore it and it could sneak into a few categories like best screenplay best editing and uh and and maybe even get into the best picture what do you what do you guys think about best picture yeah uh i think i think you've got um your your major contenders you've got like a solid like five that i think all could win still uh, you've got Parasite, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Irishman, 1917, Marriage Story, I think are all in the in the running for for being the favorite, and you you just don't know yet. And then you've got the second tier, which is starting to short, uh, sort out to be, you know, Jojo Rabbit and Joker. And then I think Bombshell's kind of on the on the edge of that second tier. May, and maybe the like, SAG love though four nominations for Bombshell. I mean that's huge. I know. Like, that, that, I know. That, that feels like it feels like the favorite. Like they're going to. I mean, like the, but, that's. I mean you don't you don't get that many nominations. I mean Doubt is the last movie that didn't that got that many nominations and didn't get a Best Picture nomination. That's because it's only allowed five. And there there's definitely a precedent set by like The Big Short and Vice of of similar types of movie um definitely it's similar tone of of that type of type of direction of a of a factual story like that yeah um i i wouldn't call it a lock yet i think you've got seven that you could say are like 90 percent sure are getting nominated for best picture 
And yeah, well, then, I, but the main thing I think Parasite actually has a real, real chance of winning. It's not absolutely. I mean, Roma, we thought we thought so, but Parasite getting this the ensemble nomination is is monster achievement, and that I think that just shows that like the the industry loves a movie as much as like the the film fans do, and it was it made a ton of money for such for an ind- for a foreign film that isn't a martial arts movie. I think I think Parasite and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood are are the two the two uh leading horses right now zach what, what are you about, thinking what about a surprise uh supporting actor nomination for parasite for the guy who played the uh the father slash yeah. driver yeah Kang yeah, Song. Kang yeah, Ho. He, he's he's a huge uh yeah huge in in south korea he, he's he's in all of juno bong's movies and i yeah he's actually if i was predicting my sport and actor lineup i think you'd get in it's definitely Mar- marina de tavira type type thing where they love the movie so much that they just give it more nominations than you ever expected. Well, and and to, I mean, remember that the SAG nomination, it's a best ensemble nomination, and you don't have something like that for the Oscars, so you can see the love for the ensemble of acting just be put onto Song Kang-ho, Song Kang-ho and get his, uh, his supporting actor nomination that way. I also am going to go out on a limb. I think Eddie Murphy gets in for best actor. That's well, not the, that far of a limb. <laughs> well, the, the the problem is he didn't get in at SAG, and and another and the other problem is is the ensemble in, and the SAG always nominates that like Dolomite is my name shit. Like they have one of those nominations every year. That's just like what, I mean, and but they didn't put Dolomite in there, and they put Knives Out in there, which is really, uh, which is which is way different than what they're normally doing. It seems like they're actually going for like their best picture lineup for what they put it put out there. Yeah, but it's the it's a comeback story though. You know, he's he's hosting SNL. He's back in cultural relevance but the again. The Oscars like love it. that. The actors didn't like, it, and that's the biggest branch of the Oscars. I I mean, I I think he's on the outside looking in. I mean, it, I don't think De Niro's getting in either because he got snubbed by both of these. Which I mean, I I think that's the, the best act, the best actor lineup I I feel like comes down to it's it's Joaquin Phoenix, Adam Driver, Leo, uh, Christian Bale somehow is going to get nominated again, he and then does. I feel like. And and I feel like uh, uh, Taron Egerton, oh, and, and then uh, like Banderas is another one of those guys never been nominated, but I feel like he's somehow on the outside looking in because he didn't get the SAG either. So you're you're saying surprising. the SAG lineup is the best actor lineup? I I think so. And, I mean, it, it's a I I feel like the only reason Taron Egerton's getting in is because he he has done the press tour as much as anybody I've ever seen. Like he is everywhere doing everything he can to get a nomination. I feel like it's kind of paying off. Hmm. When you know De Niro ain't doing that, Jonathan Price ain't doing that. Yeah. Okay, gun to your head right now. What's winning Best Picture? I. Uh, Hollywood. Bombshell. Nineteen seventeen. Wow. We went three. Nineteen seventeen is not winning. There. It's either Jojo Rabbit or Bombshell. I feel like. I do I feel know. like Jojo Rabbit is, is like this. It could be like this year's Green Book. It certainly has the, the sentimental vote. And it's a much better movie. So, I mean, okay. Well, the other categories, I feel like the, the Best Actress is pretty clear who's going to win. It's going to be Ms. Elwiger, but the, the nominees are going to be interesting because Charlize Theron's probably getting in. Scarlett Johansson really should get in after getting two nominations at SAG. And then you got Cynthia Revo. I feel like is in really good spot. Lupita Nyong'o, I don't know. I, the... 
I, I can't see that actually being an Oscar-nominated movie, but she's <laughs> she's gotten enough love that I, uh, it's definitely possible. Saoirse Ronan and Aquafina would be the other ones that are in, are in the are in line for it, and I, I just I, I I can't come up with an actual prediction right now. Well, and and Saoirse has been snubbed all over the place. Didn't Little Women got completely snubbed at SAG, didn't it? Yeah, I don't it got it got nothing. It got nothing. Yeah. Same with the two popes. Okay, well let's uh let let's roll through these last couple. Best supporting actor, best supporting actress. What what are you uh what are some thoughts you have there? I think supporting actors pretty looking pretty well flushed out. Well, I, I like we we said Kang Ho Song. I I feel like he he could be getting the fifth spot. But the ones that are locked in, you got you got Brad Pitt, you got Joe Pesci, you got Al Pacino and Tom Hanks. They Tom Hanks, at... really, really? I mean, we were thinking that uh, for Captain Saving Phillips too. Like, yeah, he was, but he was I... never a lock for Saving Mr. Banks. He was a lock for Captain was. Phillips. That's true. Well, yeah, I mean, th- there is sometimes like you know we need to talk about Kevin and times where you get every nomination you need to throughout the way, and then you somehow miss out on the Oscar. But but it's already happened to Tom Hanks. It's not gonna happen again, I guess. I I, I thought I thought he might not get the 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 Golden Globe nomination, but he did. But you got Anthony Hopkins and Jamie Foxx coming back somehow with uh, Just Mercy with the SAG nomination. Those would be the other uh, candidates. But, I mean, I, I feel like Kango Song's getting in over those guys. Okay. What about uh, Supporting Actress? Supporting Actress is weird because uh, at the Golden Globes, they, they gave a nomination to Kathy Bates for Richard Jewell. But somehow, for some reason at the SAG, they uh, put her as lead. So she didn't get nominated for it. So I, oh, I don't know how that's that, gonna actually yeah. work out. I mean, it could be it, that's almost like Leo and the Departed kind of thing. So I don't know if I, that might just like leave her out since they're not really sure what category to put her in. But I I think that one is pretty easy. That's Laura Dern, uh, Jennifer Lopez, Nicole Kidman, Margot Robbie, and then it's probably Florence Pugh. I don't think Scarlett's getting nominated for Jojo Rabbit. That'd be a really strange nomination. You you're thinking Nicole Kidman gets in. It's Nicole Kidman. She always gets in, even when she shouldn't. And that is a good point. <laughs> so, if Adam Sandler and Kevin Garnett were to present an Oscar, what category would they present? Uh, An- um, animated short. I like it. I was kind of thinking, like, short, too. Like, they'd make some joke about it. Like they did when it- Jaden Smith gave the, like... Uh, animated short to lifted i think it was or something i don't know he because it was like like, jaden smith and somebody it was another young actress or something they're gonna have like garnett uh present with someone that's like five foot nothing and just maybe they'll have kevin maybe kevin garnett will present the nominations that would be fun that would be interesting. He has to be a part of Oscar season, right? Well, Kevin Garnett, well, well, it has to be animated short because that's what uh, Kobe Bryant won for. So won both of them. And that's why, that's oh, yeah, why I was there we saying. go. They could make a remark about that that yeah. only you would understand, Todd. <laughs> no one else remembers animated short winners from the past. Kobe Bryant won an Oscar. How do you not remember that? Well, Kobe... no, he's talking about how you remembered how you knew what Jaden Smith presented. Kobe oh. Bryant won. John Lithgow nothing. 
It was like Jane Smith and Abigail Breslin or something. It was like 2006. But yeah, there had to have been. Yeah. The sad part is I actually kind of remember what you're talking about. I do too. And I, and I actually think I know how you know what won, because he like made a comment about it on the red carpet that you he remembered. He did. Yeah, yeah, how he, he, he hadn't he had seen, seen it lifted yet, but he really, he really wanted to. Wow. This is getting yep. degenerate quickly. It really is. Okay, <laughs> let's move on. Uh, well, Todd, you'll be coming out with your, uh, your final predictions uh, right before nomination morning. When is nomination morning this year? Uh, <clears throat> early. Yeah. It's like, yes. it's like, well, January, like, vote. The voting period ends like January seventh or something, but yeah, he'll have out his final predictions on uh, on our blog before then, and you have uh, and uh, we'll uh, definitely be giving our reactions to those. And once we get closer to uh, to Oscar time, we'll be we'll be doing our uh, our full Oscar preview in the the last podcast leading up to those Oscars. Yeah, Monday, Todd? January thirteenth. So it's on a Monday. Isn't it's usually on a Tuesday? Wow, so. Monday the thirteenth. Goodness, that's not that long from now. Wow. Okay. I know. That's like what? That's like what? It's four a month weeks from tomorrow. Than usual. Four weeks from tomorrow, I think. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, with that, we were talking about beforehand. There's really no good transition to this joe pesci uh, joe pesci joe pesci joe is gonna get actor. nominated uh is gonna get nominated uh in uh this year for the irishman probably and it'll be his first nomination since 1990 when he was nominated not for home alone which is what we're talking about today <laughs> thank you thank you thank you uh yeah we're talking about home alone the holiday christmas classic that is uh, just a part of all of our childhoods. But tonight, he's a home security system. You guys give up? Oh yeah, thirsty for more. From John Hughes. You know, I got a feeling this is going to be your best Christmas ever. A family comedy without the family. <laughs> home Alone. Are you here all alone? I'm eight years old. You think I'd be here alone? I don't think so. We are going to start, as we always do with our deep dives, with a little bit of trivia. And I believe Todd has our trivia questions this time. So, Todd, uh, who's going first here? Uh, I don't know. Who wants to go first? Who's more confident in their abilities in this, this week? Oh, I'm, I'm, I think Zach is much more confident than I am. Let Zach go second. I'll go first. All right. Okay. All right, Terry, we have 12 questions that are worth a total of 26 points. Okay, uh, wow, okay. So, they, I mean, mostly this going probably in chronological order, if that helps you at all. Because okay. that's how I wrote the questions. Uh, what does Jeff claim that Buzz says Kevin should pack in his suitcase? Oh. There are, there are two, two things he says. <sighs> Deodorant and underwear. That is not correct on either. Yeah, it is, I can't. Uh, toilet paper and water. That's oh gosh. I knew. Yeah, that's one of those. I knew exactly what you were referring to, and I just couldn't remember the line. 
Okay. Okay, what is the first insult that Buzz hurls at Kevin? Or is that what's a, the first name that he calls him, essentially? A disease? That was not Buzz. That was Jeff oh. that calls him a disease. Was that Jeff? Uh, oh. But Buzz calls him a phlegmwad. <laughs> yes, he does. Yes, what he does. is the legendary name of Old Man Marley? Like it's it's like the the shovel slayer. Yeah, oh yeah, I'll give you that. It's the the South Bend's shovel slayer. Oh, I'll give you the point. Uh, which uh, okay, I'll get into that later. Okay, uh, what is on the side of the pizza guy's delivery car? King Nero's pizza. God, no, that is not correct. Isn't it? <laughs> it is Isn't li it? Little Nero little delivers in 20 minutes or you don't pay. Oh, gosh. Little Nero's pizza. That was close. How many McAllisters were in the house? Um. And no, this isn't a thing we had to count. They actually said the number. Did they actually say the number? Yes. Okay, but I'm going to try and count here. Hold on. Sixteen? The answer is fifteen. Go! Oh! Dang it. Okay, well, uh, what airline did the family fly on? American. American is correct. Uh, what does Kevin remember his family saying when he realizes that they left him? Like, they do a montage of things that he's picturing in his head. What are the things that they say? There are six of them. <sighs> okay. You're such a disease. That's one. Uh, you're what the French call les compétents. That is correct. Um, uh, look what you did, you little jerk. That's correct. Um, you're the only one that has to make has to cause trouble. Something like that. You're the only one that's. Yeah, that, it's there are 15 people in this house. Yeah, that, that's where the line is. Trouble. Yeah, I realize that as I'm saying that, okay, that's that, where I'll the line is. That. That's correct. Um, I'm going to feed you to my pet tarantula, that's <laughs> which correct. actually never is said before that. <laughs> and, um, it uh, oh, 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 I don't. I can't come up with the last one. Uh, he was called helpless. Yeah, that was the first one that was said. Yeah. Okay. I was never gonna get that. Okay. Uh, three, three, uh, three uh, po points on this question. What are the three reasons Buzz gives to Jeff about why he thinks Kevin is still alive, being home alone? Um. <laughs> we live on the safest street in America. Kinda. I'll give you a half point for that. Um, I'm not that it lucky. Was, uh, we, we live in the most boring neighborhood in the United States of there, America where nothing remotely go. dangerous happens. Yes. Uh, I'm not that lucky. That's correct. <laughs> and, um... Oh. This is where he's like, A, 2, and D. <laughs> 
Um, and D is th- those were the first two. No. And okay. Two was we have smoke detectors. Oh, that's it. That was it. Yeah, I wasn't gonna get it. Okay. Okay. What was Kate's travel path worth four points? What was what? Kate, the the mom. What was her tr- uh, path that she traveled? What four cities did she hit? Okay. I I've been oh I've been from Paris. That's one of them. To uh, I think it was Paris to London to Dallas to Scranton. Okay, that's, to uh, Chicago. The first four you said you got three of them right. I had this it was, London uh, Chicago was to Paris to Dallas to Scranton. Oh, she never okay. went to London. Oh, okay. What I, I, I forgot that she started with Chicago. Anyways, it was all a quote, I guess. Uh, I know, I know. What, I've been to Chicago. <laughs> yeah. Why is Kevin afraid of the basement? We're three points. Um. Oh, God, the. Hmm. It's why he's in the church. He's talking old man Marley. Um. It's dark down there. That's one. It has a funny smell. It smells funny. And. Makes weird noises. That's not right. It, there's some weird stuff down there. There's some, there's some weird stuff down there. Alright. Okay, we're two points. Who are the next door neighbors and where are they supposed to be on vacation? They're in Florida, I think. That's that's correct. And, um... I'm not going to remember the name. All right, they're the Murphys. Murphys, yeah. Okay, and the last question. How many times is the statue in front of the McAllister house knocked over? Four. It is three. You ah. got a total of 14 and a half points. Hey, that's not bad. That's not bad. I'll take that. Okay. That's over half of the answers. Okay. I got uh, a little over Do you over want to half. know what Terry got or not? Uh, a little over half, apparently. Okay, yeah, that's true. He got 14 and a half out of the possible 26 points. There are 12 questions. Wow. Sounds okay. intense. The first question is worth two points. What does Jeff claim that Buzz says Kevin should pack in his suitcase? What does Jeff claim Buzz should pack in his suitcase? That Buzz says that Kevin should pack. That Kevin should pack. I have no idea. Toilet paper and water. Okay. Th- these uh, these questions start. are are pretty much in uh, in uh, chronological order. Just, you were uh, gonna say alphabetical know. order. Just letting you know. Yeah, I know I was. That's Did Terry get that one right? No, he didn't. No, I knew what he was talking about at least. Though. I knew what he was talking about at least. I have no recollection of that line whatsoever. But okay. Okay. What is the first insult that Buzz hurls at Kevin? Basically, what the first name he calls him is. Flemwad? Flemwad is correct. What is the legendary name of Old Man Marley? The South Bend Shovel Slayer. That is correct. What is on the side of the pizza delivery guy's car? Uh, uh, Little Nero's. Um, f- f- uh, 
15 minutes or your pizza's free? Are you talking about the sign on the car? Yeah. Yeah, you're closer than Terry was. <laughs> I'll give you a half point. It's Little Nero delivers in 20 minutes or you don't pay. Uh, how many McAllisters were in the house? There are 15 people in this house and you're the only one who's trouble. That is correct. Something like that. Yeah. What <clears throat> airline does the family fly on? Oh, American Airline. If you don't know that, what movie are you watching? American Airlines and Pepsi, baby. It's all this movie is. That's correct. What does Kevin remember his family saying when he realizes that they left him? This is worth six points. It's like a montage of things he recollects. Okay, like the little thought bubbles in his head. Um, Look what you did, you little jerk from Uncle Frank. Do I have to say who says what? No, you just say it. That's correct. Uh, Kevin, you're such a disease. That's correct. Uh, you're what the French call les incompetents. That's correct. There are 15 people in this house, and you're the only one who's trouble. That's correct. Uh, I'm gonna feed you to my spider. Tarantula, yeah. Tarantula. Uh, and I don't, I don't know the other one. I didn't know I the other one either. <laughs> the first one is uh, one of their sisters calls him helpless. Got it. So did you get five out of six, Terry? Yeah, I did. Except nice. I actually got the quote right. I'm going to feed you to my pet tarantula. He didn't say <laughs> pet, but yeah, you're right. He, did, he uh, said pet. Pretty sure he said pet. Okay, this next one is worth three points. Uh, what are the three reasons that Buzz gives to Jeff about why he thinks that Kevin is still alive staying home alone? Oh, good question. Uh... We live on the boring street in America where nothing remotely happens. Uh, yeah, he's that's not, pretty much correct. He's not that lucky. That's correct. And, um... <laughs> I can't remember the third. I can't smoke either. Detectors. Smoke A, detectors. I'm not that lucky. <laughs> Two, we don't have... We have smoke detectors. And D, we live on the most boring neighborhood in America where nothing remotely dangerous happens. Okay. What was the tra the the Kate's travel path that she uh, that she gives? Oh, I wanted to talk about this on the podcast because it's very interesting. Well, she she flies. You mean back from Paris to Dallas to Scranton and then to Chicago? Yeah, am I missing well, a place? Yeah, the, yeah, that's that that's all correct. She she says I go I've been from Chicago to Paris to Dallas to where the hell am I? Scranton. Scranton. So. <laughs> So you got you got all four right. Uh, what are the three reasons that Kevin gives that he's afraid of the basement? Uh, uh, it's, um, it's uh, it's dark. Is that one of them? Mm-hmm. Um, it smells weird. Yeah, that's correct too. And it makes weird noises, something like that. No, that, there that is, is some exactly weird stuff what I down said. there. <laughs> I promise I wasn't listening in. We're just on the same wavelength. That is exactly right. what I said. We're two is points. Our... Okay. Who are the next door neighbors, and where are they supposed to be on vacation? The Murphys. They're supposed to be in Florida by way of Missouri, picking up Grandma. That is correct on both accounts. And the last question, how many times is the statue in front of the McAllister's house knocked over? Uh, I'm going to go with two times. It is three times. Oh. I said four. The final score, we have Terry with 14 and a half and Zach with 19 and a half. Yeah. yeah. Out of 26, I, I knew, that's I actually knew he was really impressive. Get me. 
I knew he was going to get me. Well, it sounds like we were on the same wind, like, uh, a lot of the time, though. Yeah. But I, could, I, I forgot Flemwad. I didn't realize uh, that was the first one. It's a classic. Did you say, uh, I wouldn't sleep with you if you were growing on my ass? No, I thought I thought he's the one that said disease. No, that's the other nope. brother. Yeah, the one that yeah no one cares that's the about. guy who's like like a the the guy who gets lost in the seventies in uh in Sandlot. Like, there's a lot of similarities between this movie and the Sandlot. I just noticed that on this time. <laughs> also, I, I wonder why is he the South Bend shovel slayer when they live in Chicago? Well, South well, Bend is a South suburb Bend. of Chicago, isn't it? So, South Bend is kind. Of, no, South it's, where, in no it's in Indiana. Oh, yeah. It's where it's Notre Indiana. Dame is. It's where the South right. Bend Blue Sox play in the uh, All Girls Baseball League. That's true. Okay, so All where right. do we want to start? Well, well, so Zach, since you won trivia, you get to start by talking about uh, your experience with Home Alone and uh, and what you what you think of the movie. Well, it's a classic movie. I mean, it's you know, it's the movie that made everyone want to go buy Pepsi and fly American Airlines. Uh, it's the movie that introduced a young Macaulay Culkin to the world, and he became the biggest superstar, kid superstar, for about four or five years there. He was on a solid run, uh, and then there were all the tabloids about his parents and about how, you know him being spoiled or whatever. And then he just disappeared, and then was in random movies like Party Monster and uh, uh, Saved. But uh, yeah, for, for a brief gleaming time, uh, Macaulay Culkin was the king of Hollywood, and, and this was his crowning achievement. Um, this was a movie that was directed by Chris Columbus, who, as a result of this movie, went on to bigger things like Mrs. Doubtfire and the first Harry Potter movie. And uh, it is the movie that uh, is maybe more remembered. It might be Joe Pesci's best remembered role, at least among children. Uh, so, yeah, it's it, it's a classic movie. Uh, I think uh, Ebert gave it a thumbs down, which I think is is the second worst mistake that Ebert ever made. The the worst one was naming Schenectady, New York, the best movie of the two thousands. And uh, yeah, this movie. Or giving uh, the Godfather Part Two three stars. Yeah, that's a that that's a bit of an oversight as well. Um, but you know what? We'll we'll forgive we'll we'll forgive Raj because uh, you know I'm sure uh, I'm sure he was a fan of this movie even if he didn't want to admit it. I think he's just mad that there was a movie set in Chicago he wasn't in, invited to have a cameo in. That that may be true. <laughs> And that maybe, just maybe a little bit, Harry Marv might be modeled off of Siskel and Ebert. Just, just going to put that out there. That's a conspiracy theory. That, that is an amazing conspiracy theory. <laughs> you really hate Siskel. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, Siskel and Marv's intellect is roughly the same. Uh, who is worse, Siskel or Roper? Uh, hmm. I'm gonna go with uh uh Ben. What's his name? As the answer, the other Ben. Which one? <laughs> he, ben was, he was worse than both of them. <laughs> Which one? There were two. Not of them at that point. The, the the really oh, stupid Ben Lyons. One. Ben Lyons. Yeah. Yeah. He, he had no Roper is like show. a semi-pro poker player, so he he gets a pass in my in my book. <laughs> Roper's a poker player. There's our those are poker reference <laughs> yeah. for the episode. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen him on TV playing poker before. Not on like celebrity poker. Uh, <clears throat> all right. Okay, well, do we all do we all agree that this is this is the a Christmas classic? I mean, I, I mentioned at the beginning this is like a piece of our childhood here. 
Yeah, but I will say that I have seen Home Alone 2 way more than I've seen Home Alone. And I noticed that because, like, I kept thinking of quotes, but I realized that I was quoting the wrong movie, like, going up to watching the movie, so... You know why? Do you know why that is, Todd? Because I wasn't two when it came out? Because growing up, we had the VHS of Home Alone 2 and not Home Alone. That's right. I have the VHS of Home Alone now, and I tried to play it, but my VCR wouldn't actually play it without... Uh, like freaking out so that was really yes sad. you heard My that VCR right todd still dead. has a working vcr or is Amazing. it dead is that what you're oh, saying it's todd? not dead it was playing it just had a bunch of lines through it and it was like freaking out i i, I don't know it's because i never played the vhs of this before so i don't know if, if, if like the tape is faulty uh, but it makes me sad because i can't play clue 2 anymore <laughs> it's the best game ever we should we should get that on uh, on DVD at some point, like just transfer it so we could keep playing it. Anyways, I remember I remember as a kid playing the uh, the Home Alone and the Home Alone Two uh, NES video games. Oh man! I remember I the Home Alone video game was impossible. You were just placed in the house for and you had to like survive thirty minutes in the house with people chasing you until the cops showed up, and that, that was the entire game. The game lasted a half hour. And that was it. But you were lucky if you could make it 10 minutes. Lucky. It was impossible. And the Home Alone 2 video game was really hard, too. But not as hard as the... I don't think we ever beat either of them. But, uh... I hardly even remember that. I remember having them, but wow. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I remember... Home Alone 2 was a little different. It had levels and stuff like that. But Home Alone 1, it was just survive the house for a half hour. With uh, with Harry and Marv after you. Anyways, okay. What do we want to start sh- with? The- we should do a deep dive of the video game. Why just scrap <laughs> the the movie? Just deep dive the video game. It, it's it's I I honestly haven't played it and probably but you probably have a working VHS years. within arm's reach, just like your yearbook, right, Terry? <laughs> I I have a working VCR. I don't have the v, v, VHS of anything. No, the and uh, yes, NES. My, <laughs> and okay. and and yes, my my yearbooks are on, just happen to be on the shelf right there. <laughs> okay, highest war. That's usually what we start with here. Yes, it is. This got nominated for two Oscars. That would have been a good trivia question. Where was that, Todd? That thought that was obvious. We know Chris Columbus got those nominations. No, both nominations were John Williams, actually. Or score or yeah, and song. John Williams, that's what I, yeah, that's what I meant. Not yeah. Yeah, the music categories. I don't know. I think the highest war is I, it's probably Joe Pesci because I he's just I, I feel like he's angry and funny and I don't know who else really could play it quite like that. We know that you're in there and that you're all alone. We're not gonna hurt you. No, no. Got some nice presents for you. Be a good little fella now and open the door. What? Like, I mean, I don't even know what that sound is that he's making, and it, it's so awesome because that, it's just Joe Pesci. That's why I always thought he should play the penguin. But it's, I, I don't know. I, I, I love Joe Pesci in this movie, and uh, I, I can't picture anybody else doing it. Like, if they were to remake it, it would just be a shame. Yeah, that's a good call. I I, th- I think you're right. He he might be the most irreplaceable, because nobody else has that kind of 
energy. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. I think he's kind of the obvious highest war performance, but for sake of argument, I would go, maybe I'll mention that what I think is the second highest war performance, which is Catherine O'Hara as uh, mm. Kevin McAllister's mom, Kate. No, please don't hang up. Please don't. <laughs> Any luck? No. I couldn't get anybody. Leslie? I'm sorry, Kate. Nothing but a bunch of answering machines. Somebody pick up. Because I think it's sort of a tricky role because on the one hand, you have to be uh, kind of mean and, you know, she, she mistreats Kevin at the beginning of the movie. She comes off as really cold and uncaring, but uh, you have to believe that she really cares about her kid. Because one of my conspiracy theories about this movie that I'll just push out there right now is that were Catherine O'Hara not on this trip with the McAllisters, I think they all would have just left Kevin in Chicago and enjoyed their Christmas in Paris and not really worried about him. Uh, Catherine O'Hara is the only one who really, like, had sees any value in Kevin and um you know actually describes about you know missing him and being scared and worried about him um whereas you know Buzz it wouldn't be so lucky so I think that takes a, a, a strong performance and uh you know Catherine O'Hara is a great great underrated actress underrated comic actress but who also has a lot of uh, soul and emotion in this role too yeah, and what what's interesting about her is what like ninety percent of her career is sketch comedy and Christopher Guest stuff, and the other ten percent is Home Alone. Yet that's what she's remembered for. Everybody knows her as the mom from Home Alone, and every now and then you might that get oh yeah, and she she did a couple of those Christopher Guest movies and Beetlejuice, but that's about it. And Beetlejuice, yes. Um, let's see here. What am I gonna go with that's different than what you guys have already said? Um, because you guys have uh, kind of said it. I mean, those two are are the best. I love Daniel Stern, but I don't necessarily think he's got a high war. Um, Macaulay Culkin's a really high war too. Like I, I think like, so. Are you here all by yourself, Pam? I'm eight years old. You think I'd be here alone? I don't think so. Where's your mom? My mom's in the car. Where's your father? He's at work. What about your brothers and your sisters? I'm an only child. Where do you live? Uh, I can't tell you that. Why not? Because you're a stranger. I need to find a child actor that's that interesting <laughs> to watch at that, like, especially at that age. I don't know. I, I think he, he was my second choice. Yeah, yeah, you could easily go with Macaulay Culkin. However, that, I mean, if they were to remake this now, it would totally be a Jacob Tremblay role. Um, or Roman Griffin Davis. Roman Griffin Davis. But yeah. they wouldn't see, be as see, interesting there's, as there's as there's Macaulay those Culkin, kids though. kind of all over the place though that you can find. Um, but you're right, Macaulay Culkin. I mean, nothing really. I, I, the fact that he created this phenomenon around him is pretty telling of how how just awesome he was and how how unique that that whole situation was. Um, if I were to come up with a, a runner up to that, I mean. I love John Candy, and so, you know, whenever he's in anything, it's kind of hard to to say he's replaceable. But he's Even always though, replaceable by Jack Black or Chris Farley or John Belushi or, like, there's a there's a line of those actors. Well, Chris Farley's dead. Well, they all, yeah. In case you didn't well, I'm not hear. saying if it was made today. <laughs> so is John Candy, they, actually. And they, so they is John exactly. Belushi. <clears throat> But see, see, John Candy brought something different though, because he he was that like that that big imposing presence, but also he wasn't he was like John Belushi, Chris Farley, Jack Black. They're these really physical, larger than life guys, 
that wasn't John Candy. He just was funny. Um, and he wasn't really the physical comedian that the other ones were. He just was funny. So, yeah. Anyways, yeah, I'll go Macaulay Culkin with a runner-up of John Candy just to be different. But you guys pick the top two. <clears throat> So let's right, see here. What, 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 what are we doing next here? What are we doing next? We always go to worst performance. Oh, worst performance. Oh, yeah, worst performance. Okay. Very hard with this movie because there's a lot of good performances in this movie. There are. Well, I mean, I, there's, uh, yeah, there's not the like one, one that... The one I came up with was Jimmy the Drugstore Employee, but he's actually listed in the credits, I think, as the manager... Which I would never have gotten. He's like a half-ass security guy. He's wearing an apron. I don't know how he's the manager, but I don't. Shoplifter. Just, yeah, shoplifter. He's like I don't know. It's like a character out of like a of like a Jimmy Stewart movie or something. Like it, it, he's way out of place and he's terrible. He's like a fifteen-year-old and he's the manager of that store supposedly. I was gonna ask what the store was called, but that'd be really hard. It's Hubbard something. I was noticing it because I thought you might ask that question. It's like Hubbard Hubbard <laughs> Shop or something. Yeah, I didn't write it down because I was like, yeah, they're never going to get that. But apparently you would have had a guess. <laughs> My LVP is also a fairly minor character, but one That's who's not per- LVP, worst performance. Oh, sorry, worst performance. Well, okay, you're right. Sorry, there there's different. a difference. Worst performance for me is Jeffrey Wiseman as Mitch Murphy, the kid across the street who uh, annoys the drivers of the van. These vans get good gas mileage. Bring um, back something French. Gee, kid, I don't know. Beat it, okay? Um, yeah, he's really annoying. And I think what's really kind of annoying about him, too, is that his name, Mitch Murphy, is like a total like MLB player name. Like, he would be drafted by the Texas Rangers in the 12th round, Mitch Murphy, out of, you know, Winnetka, Illinois. That sounds right, but he doesn't look like a baseball player. And I don't know, he's just really annoying. And, uh, you know, he's, like, taking pictures. He's grabbing their stuff in the bag. And I don't know. I mean, okay, it's a, maybe it's not, like, maybe it's more the character than the performance, but he's really annoying. And in a movie that I think has really tightly compacted and realistic rationale for why Kevin gets uh, forgotten, um, he's the one piece that kind of sticks out as sort of clumsy. Yeah, like you get this bad. kid in, the, in one one scene in the movie, like, and he he's never seen from again. But whatever, he's he's annoying. All right, let's was see he really one? He was really a Murphy though. Like the Murphys were gone. That's why they were at their house. Well, they they left. I think they left after the same after. day. Yeah, maybe it I must have been the same day. Well, because well, yeah, he never says yeah. his name. I don't think. Yeah, he does. He says, "I'm Mitch Murphy. I live across the street." Oh, yeah, he does. Otherwise, how would, how would we know his name? Doesn't his name sound like a baseball player's name? It does. It does. You're absolutely right of that. Uh, let's see here. My my worst performance... Gosh, I don't even... Uh, There's a lot of good performances. There's there not a lot, a lot of bad of performances, good performances in this movie. Like, you know, there's not a lot of big performances, but and they're not Oscar performances necessarily, but but in the you know, the minor characters are really well cast. This is a movie that's really well cast. Did anyone actually know that Kieran Culkin was fuller? I No, I, never, I had no idea. I had, <laughs> that too. I had never known that until watching it back. Or that Hope Davis is the French like uh, airport uh lady. I was like, What since when oh, is I that? I didn't even realize that. Yeah, for a long time I remembered it being Julie Delpy. Which would have made more sense. 
<laughs> that would have made it cooler too. Uh, I'm gonna go go worst performance is the 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 guy in the polka band that's renting the van. Oh, he, the um, one who waves. Yeah, the one who waves. That was a very unconvincing wave. <laughs> yeah, and like, how does he even hear them halfway across the airport? It's like perfect yeah. timing with his wave. I know, too. I know, I know. Yeah, that that's what I'm going with because I really can't. I mean, unless you want to get picky on the kids, which is really just poor to do. That's what I'm going to go with. I believe the driver's name is Ziggy, and he has not met his kid. Yes, that's it. That's right. I read somewhere that, like, all of John Candy's lines in this were uh, improvised. Yeah, and he was there, like, only a day... Um, there's a, so I was, I was going to ask this. So there's a really interesting, uh, documentary now on Netflix, um, where uh, it's called the movies that made us and they have like four mini episodes and one of them is about, uh, home alone. And so I don't know, have you guys watched that or heard of that? They also no. have one die hard. It's re- it's really worth watching. So it's like a 45 minute program on the making of home alone. And it's pretty funny that they talk with Chris Columbus and a lot of people, the people who made the film and they talk about how John Candy could only be on set for 24 hours because he was in the middle, he had some other obligation, and they like filmed him for 23 and a half of those 24 hours, and apparently he was annoyed by that. But he still did it, and he did it for like minimum pay. He was paid like $200. Good for him. I love John Candy, man. The other well, thing he, that... Apparently that, he loved John Hughes. Shit. <laughs> the other yeah. thing that, that that show revealed that I didn't know about this movie, I've seen this movie, you know, 50 times, I had no clue about this until seeing in the documentary. Did you know that the whole McAllister house... The inside of the house was a set that was built in a high school gymnasium. Like, the house was a set in a high school. You would never believe that watching the movie. But they actually show pictures of it, which is amazing. Wow. Isn't that kind of like, like Parasite? Like, they, didn't they do have Parasite where, like, the entire house is, is, was a set that they built somewhere else? Yeah, and, like, in the scene in the Murphy's house at the end of the movie where it's getting flooded because the wet bandits have left on the faucets was in a high school swimming pool. swimming pool. I heard, I read that. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, the, the documentary also talks about how, like, the movie was made for very little money, and it was originally produced by Warner Brothers, but they were being cheap asses about it. They, and so, like, it, when the movie went, like, $1 million over budget, which is a very small amount. Warner Brothers got really fed up and shut down the production of it. And, uh, of course, they ended up losing what was the, one of the biggest box office films of all time. So it shows you a lesson for being cheap if you're a studio. I was reading something also that uh, Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern uh, had zero faith in this uh, movie actually hitting it big. Yeah, so I they about John Hurd, too. Yeah, so they so well, but Pesci and Stern they they were talking about it and they basically just decided to be as over the top as possible and just have fun with it, and that's how we get the Harry and Marv that we know and love. Well, they lurk around like they're Disney like animated villains, like um, you're watching Beauty and the Beast or something like that. Like when they're when they're like, oh, I thought they I thought they they left this morning, and then they run up the stairs like they're lurking around like they're like, rah, 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 rah. <laughs> I'm like they're cartoons. <laughs> But it's kind of awesome. Where'd he go? Maybe he committed suicide. That's a great line. <laughs> Apparently that, that that was that was completely improvised. That was just Daniel Stern off the cuff. Daniel Stern is, is a great actor. I mean, I know Todd, you were a fan of his work because you love Diner so much. Oh, of but course. like, 
Daniel, of course, he's great in Breaking Away. He's great in a small role in Hannah and Her Sisters. Like, I wish that guy had had more of a career because he's awesome. I know. I always thought that he was one of those guys that could have turned into like Jeff Daniels, who would have some really good serious roles or something. But he, I don't know. For some reason, his later career never actually came to fruition. I just quoted Daniel Stern uh, yesterday from uh, Rookie of the Year. (laughs) Hot ice. You heat up the ice cubes. (laughs) Okay, I I think we should move on to favorite minor character, because like we've been saying, there's a lot of great minor characters in this movie. Yes. All right, favorite. I have two, but I feel like Terry should go first, because he keeps getting left with nothing, so go go for Terry. This is true, this is true. Um, I'm going to go with um, the... uh, the cast of uh of um the movie he's watching angels what? with filthy angels filthy angels with filthy souls yeah yeah, yeah that's yes. what i'm going with john, johnny Great. and snakes yeah yeah and ace johnny's no, ace. <laughs> ace. i'm gonna give you to the cat of dead <laughs> yeah that that that's the fact that they just bust that out is just awesome and it's it's totally just they filmed it just for this movie it's great yeah, that was on my favorite movies I wish, or favorite fake movies I wish were real uh, list that I made, like, you know, eight or nine years ago. Like, and that's still, that still is near the top. It looks like a totally awesome old school, like, 1920s gangster movie starring James Cagney. Yeah, it's that's amazing. what I'm going with. Alright, who's next? Go for it, Zach. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Officer Balzac and Rose, who are in the village police. And uh, what's great about them is they're uh, literally just like, I mean, they're, they're, they're almost like they, sh- it's like they should be in Die Hard or something. Like, they're the, the most, like, bureaucratic, just lazy people who just sit around and do nothing all day. And, like, you know, they have this frantic mom who's, like, losing her mind. And all, all the guy's doing there is just eating a donut. And I do have to say, the, the crumb falling on the phone is either one of the most amazing coincidences in movie history or, like, it's a, an amazing special effect. Because that is, like, a perfect... It's like Walter <laughs> White throwing the pizza on the roof, right? The crumb falling on the phone receiver is, is amazing. And, uh, yeah, Larry Balzac, man, he's, he's awesome. Like, we got these wet bandits, you know, who are robbing neighborhoods left and right and these people are so on it they're just sitting at their desks eating donuts and they don't even care they're awesome well obviously uh officer balzac you you alluded to breaking bad which is the only other place i've ever seen that actor which i always thought in breaking bad like who the hell is that i know i've seen him somewhere and i realized to watch it this time that oh he's in home alone (laughs) who is he in breaking bad He's the guy who, like, uh, uh, is, like, the car demolition guy or whatever that they go to, like, several times to get rid of, like, the RV oh. and, and stuff. He's also in El Camino. Uh, wait, wait, old Joe? Get, get rid of the... Yeah, yeah. That's Joe, old yeah. Joe? I didn't know that. That's awesome. Come on. I love old and Joe. It, and that, that was part of the reason why he was one of my favorite minor uh, characters. Plus, his name is Balzac. Like, <laughs> it's, it's just an awesome name. Balzac. He's in, he's in Friends, too. He's Mr. Heckles. Oh, okay. So I've seen him a couple places, but it was one of those things. Watching, watching Breaking Bad, I'm like, I know that guy from somewhere. I didn't. Yeah, he's Mr. just Heckles kind of one sure. of those guys who pops up kind of all over the place at different parts. He's a Richard Jenkins. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, my other one, which is not as cool as Mr. Balzac, but uh, it was Heather, who is the sister who like 
apparently lives in France. I'm not really sure why she's at the house, like, taking them to France. It, it doesn't really make sense, but she's, like, super hot. And plus, she she's like, she's like, Buzz, don't be a moron. She's the only guy that ever calls Buzz out in the whole movie, and it, that, that's kind of awesome. She should have been played by Jennifer Connelly. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a good call. Would have been about the right age, yeah. <laughs> I think she li- she lives in France because she's Uncle Rob's daughter, but Uncle Rob only lives in France because his job transferred him there. But I think she goes to Northwestern. I think she alludes to that or wears a Northwestern sweatshirt or something. But she doesn't come back though. Like she she stays in France or something because like, she's not, she's only in that scene where she's counting everybody. Well, no, she doesn't come back because the only family that come, Uncle Frank's family doesn't come back though, and she's going to be with her her family, which is Uncle Rob's family, right? Uncle Rob lives in New York. We learned that in the second one. Uncle Rob is rich, man. Where does he get this job that he can transfer to Paris, live like right in the middle of, you know, uh, the Arc de Triomphe, and can afford to pay for 15 plane tickets, four of which are first class, cross uh, the Atlantic Ocean? Like, that's that's pretty ballin'. Okay, where are we going next? Biggest stick man? Sure. Hmm... Okay, I, I have a couple, but I'm just, I'll, I'm just going to say one. Um, so I'm going to go with Santa is the biggest stick man in this movie. <laughs> because Santa is like, uh, you know, he's, um, he's going to a party, right? And so he already, he has a social life. And, uh, you know, he seems like a fun, kind of happy-go-lucky guy who seems to be very popular with the ladies, like his Santa's uh, elf. And um, he's very nice to Kevin and gives him his, his Tic Tacs. And, um, yeah, he seems like he'd be the life of the party. And uh, given the rest of this movie is either uh, married or uh, severely underage or um, a burglar, uh, there's not a lot of candidates. So he's a solid candidate. I'm going with Santa. That's a good one. Honestly, when I watched it this time, I was like, wow, they really came up with the entire plot for Bad Santa by watching this movie. And that had never occurred to me before. <laughs> oh man that's good that's good (laughs) i mean santa is so secure in his identity he has like no fragility you know he he's just a guy just out of curiosity why do you how do you know that i'm not santa and then pulls the beard back up i love that's confidence that's moxie he's getting it in yeah, there, I didn't feel like there were a whole lot of people that were good candidates for this. I, I Like, Johnny from Angels with Filthy Souls, I, I feel like in his day, he probably, probably got it in. Oh, yeah, that's a good call. Yeah. But I went I went with Officer Tancredi, or, I mean, Mayor Tancredi, or whatever, his dad, Peter McAllister. Uh, he's, I don't know, I, I feel like he probably had his day back when he was, like, a, back when he was a, a bachelor or whatever. He, he, has that, he has that, like, a little, like, weird, sarcastic swagger to him. And I don't know. That that was a, as good of an option as I had. That wasn't a character within a character, or a character within a movie within a movie. Governor Tancredi. He's governor, right? Governor. Yeah, he becomes governor, but he was the mayor at one point. He right? becomes governor. I thought I thought he was always governor, and he had he was gonna like become vice president. Well, yeah, he could have moved up that far. Yeah, I don't know. It's been a while. It's been a while. Prison break, Zach. Prison break. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't know what you were talking about. Yeah. It was either Prison Break or uh, Friends or uh, The Sandlot. Those are the three options. Uh, or A Few Good my, Men. I'm going to go, my, my biggest stick man, I'm going to go with The Pizza Boy. 
Yes, that was my other one, Terry. That's a great call. That's a terrible uh, you, call. It's you, a great you, call. You, you, you know, you know, he's going to all those, all those like college parties and stuff. He has his own car, and he gets tip money. <laughs> That's a big deal when you're that age, at that at that time period too. Before watching, I was really trying to come up with the amount that he that the pizzas cost and how many pizzas they were. And I couldn't remember. I knew that there were there were like eleven or twelve pizzas, and that it was something. It was like a hundred. I said one hundred and fifty two fifty, but it was one hundred twenty two fifty. I was really upset that I got it wrong. But there were ten. <laughs> ten pizzas at twelve dollars a piece, and apparently twelve dollars and like five cents or something. Uh, two fifty delivery fee. Oh, plus tip. Plus tip. Nice tip. Thanks a lot. Yeah, see, another reason why Kevin's mom is, is so nice, and Kevin only tips him, I believe, 20 cents. Yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. How about biggest douchebag? I mean... Well, I, when we did our biggest douchebag podcast, I put Buzz on my list, I believe, so I, I feel like that's got to be the, the choice. Like, I was going to say, is, is there another choice other than Buzz? I think there are a lot of choices. I remember saying that he's the the youngest douchebag that we mentioned by far. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, mean, he's sitting there asking if the nude beaches are going to be open at Christmas. (laughs) That's that's like the douchiest thing (laughs) you could possibly say in that situation. Is it true that French girls don't shave their pits? I, I have to go buzz. I, I can't even come up with anything else. Buzz. Wow, really? I think one of the brilliant things about this movie is that I think basically every character in this movie you could say is a douchebag. I mean, even Kevin has some very seriously douchey moments. Buzz is certainly up there, but how could you not put at least a mention of Uncle Frank? I mean, Uncle that's, Frank, that's I very think, is a, true. Has, a very, has maybe a more compelling case than Buzz. I mean, this is a guy who tries to steal the silverware and the champagne glasses from the plane. This is a guy who compares <laughs> leaving your child in Chicago to accidentally leaving his reading glasses. And then the, maybe the biggest douchey thing of all is that he takes Uncle Rob's cocktail shrimp and starts eating it when he's told that they're not ready to eat that yet. Okay? Uncle Frank is the dictionary def. Kevin doesn't even want Uncle Frank back. And his little prayer that he says he, he asks god to bring back everyone including aunt leslie and the, and the cousins and uncle frank if he has time okay he asks for buzz before uncle frank i think that makes uncle frank a bigger douche he takes the pizzas but refuses to pay for them yeah exactly this is my brother's house he can pay for it well, the I, mean, problem but, is, I feel like his douchiest moments are in the second one though like it's very true of uncle frank that he's way worse than the second one <laughs> That's I just very, remember him sing, singing point. in the shower in the second one. I don't remember much of him in the uh, second one. We should talk about the second one for a moment because Home Alone 2 has the unique distinction of being the only movie that I can think of that has the two great greatest tragedies of the 21st century contained in them, uh, the World Trade Center and Donald Trump. I mean, that's, if that, that's impressive to some degree, right? And multiple Oscar winners. And That's well, true. and I, I, I always loved, uh, loved uh, Tim Curry and Rob Schneider in that too. I thought they were hilarious. Home Alone Two is a terrible movie. That is something that Ebert got right. Ebert gave that movie like one star. It is a terrible movie. Ebert gave Home Alone Three three stars. Loki. Uh, there is Home only Alone Three is, is, that is the one with Scarlett horrible. Johansson? 
Yes. Yes. There is a grand total. Where he's gone of- for an, a whole like a whole like day. He's home alone, sick. And it's the group of bandits that come in. But um, can I just say the one funny part from Home Alone 2? It's the only part that makes me laugh. And it's when uh, they're in Miami and they're watching the Spanish language version of It's a Wonderful Life. Because it plays off the French version that's in this movie. Like, that was funny. That was clever. Everything else in, in, in Home Alone 2 is garbage. Total waste. Oh, that's just wrong. Defend Home Alone 2. What what am I not seeing? The toy store, the pigeon lady, Donald it's, Trump. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's two seconds, he's on screen. <laughs> you, 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 hold that mo- you hold that against the movie, even though he's on screen for literally two seconds. I don't know, I, I feel like... Two seconds too I feel long. Like the, what, what is it that... The, the sequel to Angels with Filthy Souls. Like, I feel like that's even a little bit more interesting. And, Isn't it Angels with even filthier souls? Isn't that the name of it? With, uh, angel, yeah, filthier souls. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 li- I like Home Alone 2 in it. And I feel like I, I like I, I grew up with that movie more than Home Alone. So, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just like it's got that soft place in my heart. But I, I love him going around New York. It's more interesting than him just going around, like, his neighborhood. Yeah, it, it plays, it, it's it's a perfect sequel in the fact that it, it just plays off of the original so much. I mean, in so many ways you could say it's a, it's just a remake of the first one, but it ups the ante by putting him in a strange place that ha- just has bigger stakes because it's New York City. I don't know, I have no problem with Home Alone 2. It's terrible. No Mitch Murphy in Home Alone 2. That's, that's probably yeah. the problem. No, no, no worst performance from the first one. I wonder why he didn't carry over to the second. Gee, No, he didn't somehow end up in New York. And we replaced the pizza delivery boy with Tim Curry and Rob Schneider. I think we upgraded there, too. The sticky bandit says S-T-I-I-I. Shut up, Marv. Uh, I just remember that it's revealed that Marv is Jewish in Home Alone 2. It's an interesting plot development. Because doesn't he say, Happy Hanukkah, Marv? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. Um, I will say, uh, I saw a meme on Facebook about this a couple weeks ago, and I totally agree, especially watching it. Like, one of... Throw out any horror movie you want. One of the most cringeworthy moments in any movie I have ever seen is watching the nail go through Marv's foot. Like, that is just like... It's ah. like slow motion, though. I know. And it's like the worst ever. Who's a the better worst. Sc- who's a better screamer? Uh, Macaulay Culkin or Daniel Stern? Daniel Stern. We get some, we get some <laughs> epic screams in this movie. <laughs> I mean, we got the we got this sort of George of the Jungle scream when the nail goes into his foot. But I personally love the scream with the tarantula on his face because they could they could shoot that scene a thousand times and he that you would never hear that quite exact of a scream. That's an amazing scream that I almost want to make like my my ringtone on my phone or something. Yeah, the frequency he hits is pretty epic. <laughs> and then the the look of the look of sheer like like worry and panic on Joe Pesci's face. What 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 are, you, what are you doing, Marv? What 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 are you doing? What are you doing, Marv? What are you doing, Marv? Marv? Did I get him? <laughs> no, you get him, you idiot, you jerk! 
<laughs> oh, oh, those two are the best. <laughs> okay, here, here, here's a new category. What was the best trap that Kevin set? Oh, good one. Good, good category. What was the best trap he set? I think having the forethought to put the uh, the tar on the steps mm-hmm. with the nail was was pretty was pretty ingenious there. I'm really stuck like... down there. You can't see the nail. I really it's like tar, and it smells funny. So <laughs> I really like the chicken feathers because it's not like that's a like painful thing. He it just makes him look stupid. It's, it's like, like very thing. like immature. Why are you dress like a chicken. <laughs> Why do you take your shoes off? <laughs> I want to yeah. know where he got all those feathers too, uh, along, probably, along with all probably, the, the mannequins and the, the tar and basically everything. I'm gonna else say I'm gonna yeah, say he, where ripped he, got up, those he ripped up a pillow. That's what I'm gonna say because you probably still had feather pillows at that at that in 1990. He got them out of a pillow. That's what that's I'm gonna pr- say. That's probably true. But the mannequins are not very well explained. Maybe it's maybe it's Peter Peter McAllister's secret fetish. He's into mannequins. I'm gonna say uh, having the one the one open window have uh having the uh, the ornaments underneath it that was and having the forethought to realize that it was gonna be the one that went in the basement was then gonna try and get in through the window so they wouldn't have shoes on at that point. I don't good. know. I kind of think the ornaments is, is sort of like lazy. I think like the the chicken feathers is imaginative, and the iron uh, as the uh, light switch uh, is very original. And, and, that, that's and pretty, that is pretty good. That's ingenious. However, it was gonna have to. It was gonna take the stupid one to stand underneath that for that's that true. long and realize before he realizes an iron's about to hit him in the face. That's very true. And then there's still little stuff like the micro machines. I mean. That that was that was great. I mean that. Well, I want to know that, how it actually worked when when he went over to the to the treehouse on the rope. Like he's like, I'm up here, you big horse's ass, and then like somehow they follow him up there, and then they try to go across the rope. It's like why didn't one of them go downstairs or something? It was like, no, no, like, no. He wants us so to go back down through so his dumb. fun house of horror. <laughs> they they fell all the way down anyway. But yeah, I mean that that was a pretty good trap. And then there's the line where he says, what, he's going to call the, the, the police from a treehouse? Which in 1990 would have been a funny line, and today I'm sure the youth of America would not think that line is funny. They're like, what is he talking about? Doesn't like, he have yeah. a cell phone? Well, yeah. Well, the, the, this movie could not be made today, because you Absolutely realize... Not. you're Yeah, yeah. as soon as they realize it, they could have called from the plane. Like, Kevin! <laughs> It's one of the it's one of the things that makes old movies great. Like this movie could not exist in 2019. There's no way you could make it in 2019. So like I mean, th- and, you know, this would be a top 10 movie that would be destroyed if it was made today with the advent of cell phones. So you know, you just can't you can't they they don't make them like they used to, right? Well, but the same yeah. way, A Star Is Born was nominated for Best Picture, and I feel the same way about that movie is that they completely ignore technology, so it doesn't exist in current day. But you know, that was a topic we talked about last year. This might be the only conversation that can draw a parallel between Home Alone and A Star is Born. Yeah, that was 
That was we we time. argued about that, but you, you guys were like, no, that's completely invalid, but you guys are making my case, so I appreciate that. Uh, I've always been intrigued by how nonchalant Kevin is about discovering Buzz's Play- Playboy magazine. Like, he, he just kind of looks at it and is repulsed by it and then throws it away. Well, he also was about his girlfriend. That's true. Woof. Woof. So I, yeah, I was reading on uh, on the IMDb trivia page, apparently his girlfriend was uh, portrayed by the art director's son. And they dressed him up like a girl because they didn't want to make fun of a girl like that. <laughs> awesome. That's thoughtful. I know. It, it makes sense. Let's find let's find a thirteen year old girl that is ugly enough that we could take her picture and make her the uh, the ugly girlfriend. Yeah, no one's gonna want that job. All right. Who who would Nicholas Cage play in this movie? Yeah, that's Marv. what I was gonna say too. Yeah, that was it'll be a great Marv role back, back years ago. <laughs> I was, but I was thinking, I was honestly thinking he he could play Peter McAllister. Like this is definitely like the Family Man ish for Nicolas Cage. I feel like he could he um, fit in that role pretty well. I feel so, like Nicolas Cage would have to be in Angels with Filthy Souls. Oh, he would he like current current Nicholas Cage would be the the guy with the Tommy gun. Yeah, 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 totally. I'm gonna give you to the count of ten. <laughs> but no, he totally he's totally Marv. Nicholas Cage could also play Santa. It, it it might be a small role, maybe too small for him, but and he could play the old man too. That's true. I don't see But see, that. like, like ni- back in 1990, like, if Daniel Stern couldn't do it, Nicolas Cage should have been Marv. Yeah, that's true. 1990 Nicolas Cage, certainly. Or the yeah. Pizza Boy. 1990, I feel like Cage would have been too young, though. To be Marv? Yeah. Yeah, it would have been close. How is Michael Richards not considered for the role of Marv? That's a great question. Uh, he would have been good. Jason Alexander Alexander is Harry. (laughs) (laughs) We just we just figured it out. And then and then the and then the dad Peter McAllister would be Seinfeld. I think that the short fat guy and the tall skinny guy is is a time honored trope in comedy. Is what we're what we're figuring out. Uh, Joe Pesci's not fat though. He's just short and awkward. Stocky. Stocky. Stocky, yeah. <laughs> Alright, how uh, about some how about some flaws in this movie? Okay. Terry, you going first? Uh no, I'm not. Okay, I'll <laughs> go first. So why are the tickets and passports on the table next to the pizza? and the drinks that's a terrible idea especially before you know e-tickets and stuff like that uh and and it really makes me not blame kevin that much like look you're if you play with matches you get burned you leave your shit right there next to all the food it's how how can you really blame kevin that should have been what kevin said in his defense uh another flaw that i have with this movie is um none of kevin's family looks anything alike 
Like, actually, it's such a huge flaw in this movie that for a long time I didn't realize that, like, they were brothers and sisters. Like, okay, obviously Buzz is his brother, and you know what? Maybe they have some kind of passing resemblance. But then they got, like, the redhead brother, and then they got the blonde sister, and the parents both have brown hair. Well, the mom has red hair, I guess. But, like, they look nothing alike, and they, they talk nothing alike. A lot of pizza boys. What do you say? The mom slept with a lot of pizza boys. <laughs> I'm slept with a lot of pizza boys. I did a lot sort of, of sense pizza boys. Sorry, I did. I, sort I don't of know. Wow, you guys are a... so full. I did sense a, a somewhat <laughs> muted sexual connection between the mom and the pizza boy. Just like I think there was a little bit of sexual chemistry between the dad and uh, Hope Davis. Just, just a little bit. Maybe that that should have been explored more in, in Home Alone too. That would have made it a better movie. Did you know that Robert De Niro was supposed was a, turned down the role of Harry, and that's why Joe Pesci got it? That's interesting. I I could see him doing that. That was right in his Midnight Run type of uh, type of movies. Yeah, that's just a complete aside for you. Um. Oh, and I was. The only oh, the, the last one I have is I and I met, we mentioned this earlier, but how does Kate end up in how does Kate McAllister end up in Scranton? Can anyone explain that? Yeah, the the Scranton actually have an airport. Like I mean, that, that Michael, like Michael Scott big... goes to the airport at the end of you know the office in his last episode. Yeah, but is there like a Scranton? So where does she airport? fly to? She fly to New York and then she buses to Scranton or something. Like how, how does no, she? No, she doesn't go know. to New York. She goes to Dallas. Remember they she even say she flies from Dallas to Scranton. Yeah, like what is that? Who flies from Dallas to Scranton? I guess it's closer. She probably just got what she could. I guess I don't know. Also, low key douches that we forgot to mention. The old people who are who get, ultimately give up their ticket. Yes. Everyone, everyone wants to say that it's the it's the guy who's a douche. Oh, you know, oh, she's got plenty of jewelry and all that stuff. Okay, yeah, he's a douche. But I low key think the wife is also a douche because if she really cared mother to mother, why would she be asking for all of the mom's shit? Wouldn't she just give up her ticket right away? She wants the fake Rolex. She wants the earrings. She wants all that junk. I think they're both douchebags. By the way, yeah, totally just. Call. Totally just found in the IMDb trivia that Michael Richards was considered for the role of Marv. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, that had to be. And yeah. also, also Christopher Lloyd turned down the role. Yeah, that would have been yeah, good casting too. Yeah. All right. Well, my flaws. Okay, first off, uh, so when the pizzas show up and Uncle Frank takes them into the kitchen. Buzz is, like, right behind him, and then Kevin is, like, right behind Buzz. And by the time Kevin gets into the kitchen, Buzz had already eaten the entire cheese pizza. I don't care how much yeah. of a douche he is or how <laughs> fat he is. There's no way he ate a whole pizza in about, like, two and a half seconds. I'm not even mad. That's I'm, I'm just impressed. <laughs> Another one, uh, the, uh, the cop and the airport worker in France somehow, like, for, like, half a scene, they all just sound really Russian, and, and like, it's, like, out of nowhere. They like, changed their accent to Russian from French, like, out of nowhere. Which, I, that was really distracting. There's, they also get free champagne on the airplane, which I, I, is unrealistic. I don't know any airplane that gives you free booze. Oh, that's absolutely realistic. Remember, Terry, yeah. when we flew to Europe, they gave us free candy bars, like Toblerone? Like, really expensive yeah. shit. Yep. Yeah. Well, and first class always Europe. gets free stuff like that. They weren't on free first class, were they? The yeah, they were. were. The adults were in first class. Kids were in coach. 
Well, whatever. another douche move by them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other one is so the cars at their house are parked like halfway out of their garage. I don't know how you could possibly miss that they were the garage door was open. Yes, and valid that, point. Like, and that garage, they show it from the side. It's not connected to the house, but it is a huge garage. It's not like they didn't have enough room in there or something. They're just halfway out the garage. That's how they parked the cars originally. And I'm just like, how How do you not notice that you left your garage door open? And what else do they have in there? Like, is it really that... He's just like, oh, I left the garage door open. Eh, oh well. <laughs> not like... As if it was nothing. I don't know. Is it flaw? Okay, I, I've got a couple... Um, so, one, uh, how in the world has Kevin never met his next-door neighbor? To the point that they, that they, like, vilify him as if he's, like, Boo Radley from To Kill a Mockingbird? That's a good point, because the old man even says, before you, your family moved here, so he's been around longer than the McAllisters have. Yeah, but apparently, you know, he was a serial killer in South Bend. <laughs> Where and he it's was like, a fan of the and it's like, Blue Sox. and it's like, it's like Kevin's hearing this story for the first time. It's like, did 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 you just move here? I mean, how have you never heard the story of your next door neighbor before? Yeah, so that that was one, and then I I never really understood, <clears throat> and this time watching it, I, I I thought of it too, how um you've got, uh Harry is like obsessed with this house. I'm like, okay. You were saying, like, the, the brother, the uncle in France is, is loaded. Either the McAllisters just in general are loaded, or he just sees this, like, beautiful house and is like, this is the house that I need to rob because it's in, it'll be like a mantle on my trophy, or a trophy on my mantle or something. Uh, I, it, it's, it, his obsession with this house is completely uh, unfounded. And that it's explained. the best one on the street, though. It's I know, that's a monster property. It is a huge house. It is. It, it, it's, it's like in the original Yours, Mine, and Ours or something like that. Ever since I saw it, I wanted it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I was just like, but it's it's just, it, uh, yes, it, it's a nice house, but I just found it interesting. By the way, another side note, uh, three other people who were considered for the role of Harry, Rowan Atkinson, Bob Hoskins, and John Lovitz. <laughs> Of course, John Lovitz. Of course, John Lovitz. Not Greg Kinnear, though. There's also a list of, like, 30 actors who were considered for the role of Peter McAllister. Everyone from Michael Douglas and Kevin Costner to uh, Jeff Daniels and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Can we talk about the end of this movie for a second? Maybe this is another flaw, but, like... Yes. So, the police come, but they don't talk to Kevin at all, and they don't talk to the old man at all, and somehow the house is miraculously cleaned up of everything, ex- with the exception of Buzz's bedroom. So, like, what what happened? <laughs> that is a very valid point that I'd never thought of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, or, or realize, hey, you're the McAllister kid that everybody's been calling about that's home alone. And then, well, now just go home. Just stay, stay home. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, a, true. that's a great point. And and then yeah, overnight he, well, no, he goes to bed. Yeah. So he goes yeah, and to he bed. And he wakes up the next morning. Wakes up the next morning and everything's cleaned up. Yep, except for the gold tooth somehow, because you except know you can clean t- up everything except the, the gold tooth that's prominently placed on the floor. 
I like he how he asks up. his wife, like, hey, what's this? <laughs> like, this random speck I picked up off the floor. Hey, honey, what's this? <laughs> uh. Which which, which was knocked out in the middle of the pile of micro-machines. So, like, that was... It, he had to, like, intentionally leave that on the floor if he cleaned up. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's, like, it's, it's such a prominent thing. I mean, it, it would be, like, one of the first things that I would clean up as, you know, evidence, right? I mean, how what? how do you how do you clean up tar off the staircase going down to the going down to the basement? That's like yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's I mean, he went question. shopping for the milk, eggs, and fabric softener. Yeah, that's I was expect thing. I was what? expecting you to ask in for milk, eggs, and fag, fabric softener. By the well, way, Todd, but I that's that the thing a I've question. quoted a lot. That would have been too that's obvious. That's true. That's an easy that's an easy question. Yeah, I thought you were gonna give me a softball, Todd. Come on, man. I did give you a softball. I guess, like, what airline they were on. Does that would have been really a softball just for me. Nah, I don't think he does. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering that, too. He actually thought his family disappeared, and yet he's doing all of their laundry. Like, why? Why? What, what is he doing the laundry, laundry for? Just because he's the man of the house? He didn't go through that many clothes himself. Oh, Todd, here's a trivia question for you. Let's see if you can get this one that I just found in the, in the IMDb page. Um, so in the box where Buzz keeps his money, uh, what baseball card is on top? <laughs> I have no Jeez. clue. Like Eddie Matthews? That's Fred McGriff. I knew it was a brave. Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> All right, I think we're at MVP and LVP. I think you're right. Um... My LVP is Marv, because he is probably, he goes down as one of my probably top ten dumbest characters of all time. Like, he's such an idiot criminal that he has to come up with a name for them so that the headlines can can write about them when they obviously are going to get caught. I mean, and, I don't know, he only gets dumber. It's it's like Joey and Friends or something like that. He gets dumber as you go along, and, uh, and I don't know, like, he sounded like a snake. Like, what the hell does that even mean? He, he's so dumb. He, he's got to be the, one of the most LVP of any movie in the 90s. My LVP is the phone man from Ma Bell. Because it does not look like it is that severe of a storm. It looks like a branch falls on the line. And he's already there fixing it. So why doesn't it get fixed is my question. I mean, I realize he says it's going to take a few days. But, like... Just fix it, dude, okay? When the power goes out, it should not take several days. And it's not Christmas yet, all right? So he's the LVP because had he put the phone line together like he was supposed to, then, uh, you know, they could have communicated with Kevin, and, uh, you know, there wouldn't have been much of an interesting movie, but uh, people would have been much more relieved. I could see this being just as interesting of a movie if Kevin actually made it to the airport and they realized that his ticket was in the garbage can at home. And everyone was already on the, on the plane, and he, yeah, was left in the airport. Well, clearly in this pre nine eleven society, no one actually checks your boarding pass. Yeah, so it's not really a big deal. That's Home Alone too, where he, he gets on without a boarding pass. Uh, well, or they he gets do on in the this movie plane. too. Well, he gets on he gets on with the wrong boarding pass because he runs into the guy, or runs into the the ticket person. Anyways, uh, my LVP is Fuller. Oh, um, good one. He he wets the bed. And is and like drinks an entire can of Pepsi at dinner, and then makes makes 
you know, googly eyes at, at Kevin being like, yeah, baby, I'm going to pee on you tonight. <laughs> Who would have thought that guy would have become like an Oscar caliber actor? Of I know That's that amazing. that would be the, the kid actor that would emerge from this franchise. Not Macaulay Culkin, but his little brother. Both of his little brothers, I feel like, are even better actors. But Macaulay in this movie is so, I don't know, he's so, he's amazing. I always thought the flag that's draped on top of the hide bed in the in the attic looks like the flag of Israel. In fact, I thought it was for a long time, but then recently I noticed that the flag is also on uh, Joe Pesci's fake cop uh, suit. So it must be like the flag of their village or something. But I, I liked it more when it was the, the Israeli flag for some reason. Um, another, another, uh, oh, another flaw that I forgot to mention before. Um, have any of you ever noticed we never see Kevin's own bedroom? Yeah, that's true. We see the Good attic. Point. We see Buzz's room. We never see Kevin's room. That's a good point. Maybe they did, they, the, the high school gym was too small to build, uh, that set piece. Must have been. All right, MVP. MVP. I'm going to say my MVP first. Go for my, it. My MVP, clearly, no contest, is John Williams. Because without John Williams, this movie is a silly, lighthearted, slapstick comedy John Hughes movie that maybe is forgettable, um, maybe has some good performances. But the John Williams music like lifts this movie, and in the documentary about it, in the episode of the movies that made it, that made us, like Chris Columbus and and the writers, they all joke that like, oh, you know, we never thought like let let's 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 reach for the stars, you know, let's get maybe we can't get John Williams, but we'll get someone as good as that, and like they they never ever realistically thought they could get John Williams to do it. It was just totally inconceivable. But uh, John Williams saw the humor in it, and he wrote a classic uh, score. That is, uh, it's perfect for this movie. And, and he's and, the MVP and the highest war, maybe. And it really gives it heart. Like, the score is what gives it the heart at times, too. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like you were probably echoing Ebert's review during that, except other than the John Williams stuff. Like, it was like a, a slight comedy... That isn't really that interesting, whatever, blah, blah, blah. No, Ebert's, Ebert's biggest criticism is he didn't think that Kevin acted in a realistic way. He thought a kid would be more nervous and would call the police. It's like, yeah, Raj, okay, there's a, there's a buzz kill. Kevin calls the police and the movie ends. No Harry and Marv, no micro-machines, no paint in the face, no spider. Like, that's lame. Well, it isn't it's Chicago. It's called suspension of disbelief. Uh, I'm going to say my MVP is, uh, I'm going to go John Hughes. Um, I, I think, I, I think we mentioned it a little bit, Todd, you mentioned it. I think you could easily say that this is like a, a live action cartoon in a lot of ways of, of how it, how it happens, how it's portrayed. And that is all because of this wacky story that John Hughes came up with and wrote. And, and I mean, of all the things that John Hughes was doing and all those, you know, the 80s teen comedies and teen rom-coms that he was doing, he decides to write a family Christmas movie that is basically a, a live-action cartoon that becomes this instant classic because it's a Christmas movie. Um, and uh, I think he has as much to do with uh, the success of the movie. And it's one of those where you... Uh, I remember it, it was a long time before I realized he's the one that wrote this, and when I found out, it was like, oh, 
that is that makes it even more impressive that someone like that came up with this. I mean, this feels like you know someone writing their one of their first scripts in Hollywood just coming up and uh, coming up through the comedy ranks. But an established guy like John Hughes going out of his wheelhouse for something like this, and that's that's very unheard of. And he and he penned a great story and a great script, and that's what that's what helps make this movie what it is. Well, it's not totally out of his wheelhouse. He did do Christmas Vacation the year before. So, true. I, true. I mean, he, he had done things that weren't like teen-based and, and holiday movies, too. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it is a, an irreplaceable score for sure. Or not a screenplay. Chris Columbus was originally supposed to direct Christmas Vacation, and uh, he hated Chevy Chase. They clashed. <laughs> This movie is so much better than Christmas Vacation. I know there are Christmas Vacation defenders out there, but this movie is so much better. Christmas Vacation is overrated, in my opinion. Well, you don't like sequels, apparently. That's true. Except for Kill Bill Volume 2. You don't like Christmas sequels. No, I'm not a fan of Christmas sequels. Did you know? <laughs> I can't uh... think of that many other Christmas sequels. Is there an Elf 2? I can't remember. No, there's not an Elf 2. Bad two. Santa 2? Uh, that wasn't as good as the first Bad Santa. That's true. Santa Claus 2. Never saw it. Did you know that, Didn't realize that it John Hughes wrote the the first Beethoven movie? That somehow makes sense. Yeah, I can see it. He's credited like as writing it, but he, a lot of kids. He wrote he wrote it under the uh, the pseudonym Edmund Dantes. Hey, I, I bet you get that reference, Terry. I get I get that reference. I understand that reference. That that's that's who would have if if John Hurd was not the father Charles Grodin would have been the father in uh, in Home Alone. And then he would have just been the same character as the father in Beethoven. He would have Pretty just much. you know been sarcastic and jaded the whole movie and just whined the whole time. I would exactly. have watched that though. Yeah. Exactly. So could John Hurd have played Walter White? Is that what you're saying? Are we connecting all yes, of now. <laughs> absolutely. I could see it. I think okay. I don't. It was jarring watching John Hurd play that corrupt cop in the first season of The Sopranos when he goes to the strip club all the time. Like that, seeing Peter McAllister in the strip club like choking a hooker, that was a bit intense. But whatever. But he's a stick man, according to me. He is a stick man. All right, Todd, who's your MVP? All right, well, you guys took the easy ones. My my MVP has to be the tarantula because, I don't know, the tarantula, <laughs> it, it had to die at some point, but it didn't. Um, he ate a bunch of mice guts, and, like, I don't know, if, if it wasn't for that tarantula, he never would have gotten away. He would have gotten beaten to death, like, at the bottom of those stairs. That tarantula just had to sit on a guy's forehead, and uh, it completely saved a child's life. So he's the, he's the MVP of the story, and he, I mean, he's a shy little guy, but he's still he's super intimidating. So Buzz indirectly saves Kevin. Yeah, so Buzz is like, yeah, he's, well, he's the, like the MVP's it, offensive but... lineman or something. <laughs> and instead of instead of him feeding Kevin to his tarantula, Kevin feeds the burglars to the tarantula. Yeah, not just a bunch of mice guts. It's... Yeah, yeah. Which I think is awesome that he feeds mice to the spider instead of the other way around. That's kind of awesome. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap this up with uh, with a quote of the day. 
Okay, my quote of the day comes from uh, Harry, uh, played by Joe Pesci. Probably deserved another Oscar nomination for this movie, too. And it's after he's been hit in the face with a paint can, and he says, You bomb me with one more can, kid, and I'll snap off your cojones and burn them in motor oil. Yeah, that was a line I did not realize was in there until this last time I watched it. <laughs> I mean, the the vulgarity and yet, like, elo- elo- eloquence of that line is a unique combination of, like, <laughs> scatological and, like, erudite. I love it. It's great. It's Joe Pesci. By, by the way, by the way Joe, Joe Pesci, every time he's just, like, muttering things that are incoherent, it's his way of avoiding dropping F-bombs every time he's walk, walking around frustrated absolutely yeah like legit that's like confirmed that's what he was doing okay uh, i'm gonna go next my my quote comes from home alone 2 lost in new york oh, um yes. and this is a this is a conversation with uh between uh kate McAllister, the mother and uh she's a handful and um, the desk clerk played by Tim Curry. <laughs> Is that the quote? Because that's funny. No, that's not the quote. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it's Stone a conversation between the mother and, and the hotel desk clerk played by Tim Curry. And, uh, and she says, what kind of hotel allows a child to check in alone? The boy had a very convincing story. What kind of idiots do you have working here? The finest in New York. <laughs> There we go. So that, that's my that's my quote. She's a handful. I like she's a handful more. <laughs> oh, and I didn't get to say one of my conspiracy theories. My conspiracy theory is that uh, the uh, the guy at the ticket counter at the airport that um, that she runs into is a shroot. Yes. That's oh, my that's, conspiracy that's theory. Bravo. You just yeah. redeemed yourself. That's a great conspiracy theory. Yep. It's Granton. Okay. <laughs> I had a hard time coming up with a quote because I quote the movie all the time, so I went with something that I don't quote. And this is from the uh, the Bad Santa. He's like, "How can you give Chris Kringle a parking ticket on Christmas Eve? What's next? Rabies shots for the Easter Bunny?" And again, I, another quote I did not remember in the movie, but uh, <laughs> one of those things that like, yes, movie's a little more suggestive than we thought. Yeah, that's because we remember but, this movie from when we were five. We didn't understand, like, maybe he committed suicide. (laughs) Maybe he committed suicide. (laughs) Uh, It's a great movie. It's a great movie. All right. With that, we're going to bring this podcast to a close. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, Zach, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, At almostsideways.com. And Twitter? And Twitter. Prozac. What's your twi- yeah, Prozac. Prozac, was- Prozac 36. There we go. And you can find Todd on on uh, Facebook. You can find me at Almost Side Terry on Twitter. And the official launch of the Almost Sideways Twitter account uh, happened yesterday. So you can uh, you can check that out and follow follow us there and get all the latest news on Almost Sideways there. Um, AlmostSideways.com. We have the Almost Sideways blog, Almost Sideways Facebook page. Uh, you can find us all there. Uh, again, are we doing this our is top ten of the year. I think that's gonna that's be gonna be coming up, soon, up pretty right? soon in January. You're gonna be and hearing top about 10 our of top the ten. Yeah, Zach, I saw you started your top ten of the decade countdown on uh, Facebook today. I did, but uh, that's that's for your ears only kind of shit. The the public has to wait. 
Oh, oh, so so only the uh, the hundreds of friends you have on Facebook that are probably also listening to this podcast can uh, can find out what your top ten of the decade is. <laughs> you know, like Concordia University, I'm kind of a big deal. I yeah, there you go. I I, I am I do respect your your uh, your number ten. I will say that I would I do respect your number ten. Anyways, well, uh, top ten of the year has to come before the top ten of the decade, or it won't make any sense. I agree. I agree. Yeah, so we're agree. we're gonna be doing that. I don't know if we'll do that next time, but pretty soon we're gonna have to be put putting out our uh, our top ten list. Anyways, uh, like I said before, this is probably our last episode of the of the year of the decade. Uh, have a wonderful holiday season. Have a very merry Christmas, and we will catch you next time. Until then, have fun watching movies. Despite your cross behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.